My name is Shelly Dobesey. I'm part of the Greertown uh, community group with the Wilsons. And today we are going to read from John 18, 28 through 19, 16. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to them, to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard those words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. 
Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, was one of the judges yesterday. So I'm still recovering from meat overload. But I'll do it again. Um, I have no, I, no, no problems. I, I'm glad God gave me this calling. Um, so I had Shelley not read all the verses, but we will be looking at the Luke passage. It's just a lot of reading. And so the Luke passage is going to give us further context for this message today. And um, please pray. My wife Kelly is not feeling well. She's at home. And um, she would be up here today, so please be prayerful about that. Um, this is my last sermon on the question of why Christians are so politically divisive in this bigger sermon series of I'm Asking for a Friend. And um, I must say, I am so glad this is the last one. <laughs> Politics is a mess. And so as much as some of the things that we talked about the last couple of sermons may have caused discussion and arguments and heated stuff at your house or in, inside your own head, same thing at my house. So we, you know, just like y'all, we have our discussions about these things. And um, it's just a real challenge because of the way things have mixed up. And, um, and so the last two weeks, honestly, I have been pretty apologetic and pretty hard on the believers and how we handle politics and sometimes lose our faith and then our minds and composure, our God-called composure in exercising our political lives in this world. Well, um, and when it comes to certain issues from the right and from the left, conservative or woke, Whatever side you're on, we Christians get intense. You know why? Because as much as believers might want to shed this description I'm about to give and be cool and in with everything else, Christianity is a radical faith. Radical. We don't like using that term because of what it means today, right? But it's radical. It's radical because it aims to affect and bring fundamental, thorough, spiritual, and social world, social change to this world and its systems. And if you're a believer, maybe you are surprised that you are a part of a radical religion. Maybe because you grew up in the Bible Belt. And everyone and everything is basically Christian. In fact, some of us think we are the bell curve for the American ethos. Like, this, this is God's country, and we are the substance of it as believers. And we can talk about that all day, okay? But from these passages that were read today, consider that the Lord of Christianity, and we heard some of it today from the John passage, that the Lord of Christianity, Jesus, was citizen arrested by his own people. 
like he was a public enemy number one, and then turned over to the local authorities for questions, suffered police brutality, and then died like a capital punishment deserving criminal. That's your Lord, Christians. And if Christians are followers of that claiming to be God, tragic hero, and doing politics, things are going to be messy. Because the two things I want you to see from Jesus' story and how he was treated 2,000 years ago, two things. Christians, and I'm going to let, if you're not a Christian today, I'm going to let you in on the, on the family secret, okay? Some of it. Christians are seeking God's purposes in this world. Seeking God's purposes in this world. But Christians represent a kingdom that is not of this world. Those are the two things we don't look at. So we have a lot of scripture today, but it was important that, I, that you get immersed, if you will, into the story. But Jesus has up to this point in the Gospels, this last week of his life, been on the backwoods circuit, right? Hitting various towns and cities in the Jewish state of the Roman Empire, and things get tense when he turns his ministry towards the capital city, the religious and political stronghold of the Jewish state, Jerusalem. He was entering, if you didn't know, where the political and religious knot tied between the Romans and the Jews. And to help you see the big picture, Jesus was arrested by order of the Jewish authorities, mainly Pharisees, religious leaders, who made up a council that was like their version of a house of representatives or a local city council, who in turn then bring Jesus to the governor, Pilate, who is over the region that includes the Jewish state, among others. And then Pilate is like, y'all, uh, uh, like, you local leaders have jumped the step. I will send Jesus, this guy, back down to Herod, who's the political figurehead of the Jewish state, and then he gets sent back to Pilate because this thing, Herod says, is beyond his powers. Indeed, then Jesus gets put on the ballot, if you will, before the local leaders. And the Jews vote like a democracy to have him crucified. And Pilate can make the capital punishment decisions that the Jews couldn't and refused to. And the king wouldn't. And Pilate could not let this Jewish state get stirred up on one hand. And by all means, he could not let word of this issue being something he couldn't handle get all the way up to the Roman emperor, Caesar. Here's what is interesting about Jesus. And from then on, Christianity. And in this case, as it applies to politics for the sake of this sermon, Jesus doesn't go around the political juggernaut, right? He doesn't go around it in accomplishing the purposes and missions of God. He gives himself and lets himself be carried along by it and through it and in it. No, Jesus never ran or intended to run for high priest or for king or for governor, but he let those leaders and their politics run for him and his goals and purposes. Look at what he tells Pilate and then his followers after his resurrection. That's in a Luke passage, and we'll look at that from the dead. Those followers who have now scattered and are hiding after his being crucified. Look at the John passage again in chapter 18. Look at verses 24. 
what it says here. It says here, Jesus answered uh, him. Um, okay, hold on a minute. Nope. In the wrong passage. Please excuse me for a minute. Verse 31, rather. Sorry about that. Jesus answered Pilate, you, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? When he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Then Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered him this, this way. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am king for this purpose. I was born, and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then jump down to chapter 19 in John in verse 11. And he says this, Jesus answered him after Pilate says, I have the power to crucify you. Why don't you listen to me and go along with it and get with the program? He says this, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Right? Then look at what he says to his disciples after he resurrects in chapter 24 of Luke. He says this, Verse 46, and Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the son, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father Upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. What do we see here from these passages? Jesus and his followers are called to be about seeking God's purposes and mission. God's mercy and grace and God's grace ethic in this world through this world through its politics, through even its bipartisan, raggedy system, right? Through its misguided, intention-driven platforms to, to sort of hitch a ride on a political Uber or goober, right? To, to, to even at times, that was supposed to be funny, to even at times in situations be the temporary driver ourselves of that shaky political ship with one goal in mind, the same as our Lord's to get God's business done through and in the systems of this world. When we look at the Bible, it says, what the Bible says about world leaders, it is clear that God holds the government, the, the world's, the secular government, accountable to uphold God's purposes. And what does that mean? Because we all know politics can be corrupt. God is saying the governments are good enough to use for 
my purposes, to ride for my purposes, to have his purposes carried along and then sovereignly manipulated by God's hands. Here's a good way to think about it, about government and God's purposes. God lets the precious cargo of his mission and purposes and desires, stuff that is good to him but good for our communities and for justice and mercy in our neighborhoods. He lets it, if you will, sail on the ships of politics and governments who are driving things. But here's the thing we need to remember. God controls the oceans and the currents and the water and the tides and the storms and the sea creatures who can swallow up the whole ship to bring his cargo to where he wants it to go when he wants it. I was reading an article about how this uh, ship was found at the bottom of the ocean recently. Sailed out, I think, in the 1800s, carrying gold for a European king from America, and it was sunk by a storm. And listen, and listen to how radical Christians are called to be. If we were to follow Jesus' story, think about this. God is calling for believers to bring his promises and hopes through a system like our politics that is flawed and may sink, that God has caused to sink, that God has called to show its weakness to only find his value in it later. So our politicians and governments might let us down and sink what looks like our hopes for it. But God's purposes and mission and good for us will never be lost, though, though it might take some time to surface. And because believers are called to load up God's weighty issues from heaven, from him and earthly vessels like governments and institutions and leaders that, that live on politics, let me tell you what, we knowingly load things that are too heavy for these vessels for God's use to bear. Christians are seen as divisive because y'all are like political ship sinkers. You're too much, too extra, too heavy for most political powers and platforms. Look at what happens with Jesus here in, in chapter 18 in John again. Look, look what it says. Verse 35, Jesus, Pilate answered him, I, am I a Jew, your own nation? And the chief priest had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says to him, what is truth? Pilate is concerned about his political ship being sunk by 
or overwhelmed by riots or insurrection. He is overcome, if you will. He's twisted and bent and corrupted by being unable to handle Jesus' truth and God's purposes. This has gotten overused, but Pilate, as well as the politics of the world, truly can't handle God's truth. And God's truth, Christians lobbying and loading for God's good and grace to come and be manifest in this world. Do, do you know what the word glory means in Hebrew, kavod? It, 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 it means heavy. It means God's weight. That means the things that you look at and see in your heart from God's kingdom, the mercy and the justice issues and the grace issues and all the things that you see revealed in God's word, the truth that God has given you the ability to see for his glory, you are now taking that weight and loading it onto your political leaders. You're seeking to bring that to the government. And just like Pilate here, they can't handle the weight of that truth. It's too much. And here's the thing. God may let the folks who we charge to champion God's cause sink and break. Some of y'all swear by certain political parties. This is God's party. This is God's candidate. This is God's way. You know what the candidate's thinking? If I was a candidate, I would think, please, I hope the Christians aren't supporting me this year. Right? Because y'all want too much. In fact, sometimes I think you don't want enough. Right? You, you, you don't want enough of what God would bring. And, and so here, here's the candidate. They have to worry, like Pilate does, above, about the crowds, about the masses, about the vote, about their, their party, Republican and Democratic Party. they got to think about the party line. And here come Christians. We want God's kingdom brought. They can't handle it. You are annoying. I thought, wouldn't it be good if Jesus went to the White House, right? Part of me thinks, you know, we, we all got different ways. You know, we, I, I see us fighting online. Well, this is more important, and this issue is more important, and it's about having a Supreme Court justices in place, and this is this, and this is that, and we woke now, and we, you know, we believe in American conservative values and back and forth, right? And I'm thinking, it would be fixed if Jesus would just go. Then y'all would be out of the way. What y'all think and your truth, and we know for sure he ain't thinking about, you know, whether it's going to be good financial returns for him. Like, he's he going to do the right thing. But if Jesus went to the White House, it would be a mess. It would be a disaster. Look at the last time Jesus went to the seat of power. He came out a criminal. He came out a nuisance. He came out public enemy number one. I know y'all don't want to hear this. But if Jesus went to the White House, there would be a media circus about how some crazy guy came talking about he's the son of God. 
right? Who spoke the truth. And he would get rejected. He would get kicked out. He would get arrested. He would be put in jail. Thing is, he would burden them in our political system so much. Here's what's hard. That their limitations, their spiritual weaknesses and political desires, he would reveal that mess and that darkness so much like he did before Pilate, it would make them crack and they would turn against him. We talked about this last week a bit, but there is no political vehicle. And I told y'all this, whether it's a donkey or an elephant, right? No political vehicle in carrying the load can be trusted with God's glory and goal in and of themselves. They will all break down. Yet God is not saying stay away at the same time. He is saying get on it, load it up sometimes, knowing it is broken and it will break, knowing that the weight of what God's will, what God wants will be too much for it, and that he will ultimately make it work or expose politics or political party or candidates' weaknesses. That's what's going to happen. Just like Jesus did Pilate and his ability to stand up against the Jews because he's afraid of the masses. He's afraid of the popular vote and they will make him look bad to Caesar and he will lose his position. And so he crucifies Jesus basically against the merits of Roman law and what appears to be his own personal feelings about the thing. Jesus and his mission and goals are hard and impossible for his man politics to handle. So he goes corrupt. Look at verses 19, 6 through 16 with me. When the chief priests and the officers saw Jesus, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out. Hear this. Here's a political piece. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Christian and Christianity, Christians and Christianity are radical because it is called designed to get on that boat 
to get into the government, to get into the systems of this world, to overload, to complicate the world system with God's kingdom purpose, to get involved as much as possible in the political role of citizens and then watch it sail or sink. And that looks divisive to the world because we are called to demand and force a response, demand and force our leader to squat and push the weight God has called us to be and bring into this world from the conservative and liberal ends of God's kingdom. Truth be told, Christians are not liked in the political arena because their demands for God's glory and purposes does exactly what Jesus does in this passage. It exposes their weaknesses. It exposes their real motivations and darkness of their heart. So any political leader especially in the crunch of our two-party system like we have, sort of like Pilate was in between, the goal is to mollify, right? It's to control. It's to corral. It's to calm people with false promises and making Christians believe what? That they are the political party and candidate for God and God's party and Christians should vote for me and be with me. And the whole goal is to stop the system from putting them out. See, Pilate and Herod had one goal, to not let a rebellion in an angry tax base happen in Judea. Like, like what Jesus says here, though Christianity seeks the purposes of God in this world, Christianity is about a kingdom not of this world, which means its followers are rebels in this world. A couple things I want you to see here. Jesus claims to have a kingdom and does not deny he is a king. And he could be a madman just, just at that. But he then comes back and one-ups the thing by telling Pilate this in verse 10. Look at this. He says, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. Jesus saying that the kingdom that he is king of might be in your earthly jurisdiction, but it is more than you at the same time. So don't get it twisted. My being here before you doesn't mean that my kingdom and my kingship is revoked or subpar to yours. In fact, the folks who did this will be held accountable, and you will too. And then look what he says in Luke 23rd chapter. And we didn't read this one, so I want you to see it. Luke 23, verses 27 through 31. This is when he's being crucified. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said this, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and hearts and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And then think closely what Jesus says here if we turn back to our John passage in, verse, in chapter 18. 
Look at what he says here. Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. <laughs> Jesus saying, I got people, right? Jesus got not just this paralleled, integrated government thing, movement, where people are called to be in the system. He's saying, I have a, a kingdom that runs perpendicular to the world, that doesn't just go along with things, but that rebels and refuses and refutes falsehood and injustice with truth and justice. That means Christians are divisive because by their nature of following Jesus as a subset of their rebirth in Jesus, born-again Christians are rebels in this world. So don't let their riding the ship and working in the systems of the world fool you into thinking they're anything but rebels with a cause. And that cause is the glory of their king and his kingdom. This is where you might feel sometimes a Christian arrogance. Because as much as Christians might be Americans in this country, they believe they have a higher citizenship and loyalty to Jesus, their king, and God's kingdom, which means they are radical refugees and spiritual immigrants, all mixed in and integrated into earthly countries and citizenships. They're to fight the power, right? Not as political soldiers, but as Jesus calls them, servants of his, serving in this world. And it was what that, and is that misunderstanding and fear of Jesus having rebels and insurrectionists in Rome that ultimately was the evidence needed to send him to his death. They got the rebellious language of Christianity right because it is a rebellious faith. It's sad. Most of us believers are lulled to sleep and afraid of missing our piece of the American dream. But it's almost like, I begin to think about what it's like. It's almost like one of those um, kind of espionage or, or sci-fi movies where the cell, right, or undercover double agent gets activated, and the person who you thought was just a soccer bomb is some kind of high-level agent. What will surprise, the reason Christians are so creepy is because there's something about us that's true. You're like rebels living in a world and in a country that and you're here, but your agenda is God's kingdom on earth, and you are willing to see it finish and manifest it finally. Now, hear your story. Ready? I know y'all don't want to talk about it. You want to be cool to your friends, but hear your story. You want to see God's kingdom of Jesus being the king manifested and bringing great results on earth and see it finished again finally is finished when you leave this place by death and resurrection and then taken up in the air to be in heaven with Jesus who's going to bring a new earth and a new Jerusalem down. That's your story. You creepy. <laughs> and you bring that story into your politics. I don't want to go around saying it. What do you think about the political system? Well, it'll be here for a, while, here for a little bit while. But, you know, my king, he's coming back. He's going to knock all us down, and we can have a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Right? Maybe we should have a shirt. New, I'm waiting for the new Jerusalem, right? No, you don't want that shirt. 
But the irony is, God's saying that may be true, but you stay here and work within these systems, kind of like subversively working in these systems. I'm going to get arrested after saying all these. Subversively working in these systems until Jesus comes back and the cell is like activated. Da, 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 right? <laughs> and not only people living going to get up, the folk in the ground who follow him are going to jump up. Right? We believe this. I can't believe I believe it. But we forget it. We get so caught up in a political system, right? We get so carried along. We forget what our Lord actually said 2,000 years ago to these Roman leaders and to the local leaders. I'm a king of a kingdom y'all can't see. You're not in charge of me. You're not the man. I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm going to die, not because you've made me die, because I want to die. You know what Christians believe? That our politics and our participation in politics in these worldly things are just a means to an end. They're just building blocks. You know, do we really care? Like, ultimately, you know, just ask yourself, ultimately, do you really care, like, what the name of the political party is? Like, if... This country is not going to last forever. I've said this before. Y'all don't believe that. God's kingdom is eternal. This America is not God, ultimately God's country. It's God's country ultimately as he manipulates it for its purpose. And part of that purpose may be that it ends one day. No way. Nope. Because, you know, when Jesus came through Rome, the Roman Empire, it still exists, right? No, it doesn't. But Rome, it was Christian. It was all Christian. And it, and, and it spread Christianity all over the world. It was God's country. He was done with it at some point, right? Why do we think we're here to stay? Part of the issue is that we get confused, and you need to be more creepy, Christians, is because you actually think or have been confused into thinking that the basis of our country is, is God's kingdom, that it rides on the same rail, and it doesn't. And so we act real surprised. What? They rejected God's stuff? Why are you surprised? But I thought this party was for us, man. To win the election, they won't care about y'all's issues. They don't. It's not the same kingdom. This country probably will not last forever or not be the same way it's always been. We're this world power. We're bringing great God's version of democracy and capitalism to the world. What? Huh? Really? Maybe God's using it to bring some good stuff, but it's not God's kingdom. Christians, deep down, you believe that. You believe you're looking beyond America as you work in this country, right? It's that dual citizenship that's real crazy to try to explain to people. But Jesus made y'all crazy because he came in your heart and he changed your mind, right? He says, 
Pilate's like, tell me the truth. And Jesus says, I've come in the world to give the truth. And those who are mine hear the truth. Right? You hear it if you're a believer. And so while the world's hearing, you know, we want our country to be this, and we want our country to do that, and we want to be this world power and this, you know, you're hearing it, but then there's this other voice, let's call it the Holy Spirit, coming to you and you're looking at Scripture and it's saying, no, we're looking beyond that. So... We're called to be, I'm going to say it, good Americans, good Germans, good Ghanaians, ultimately for and loyal to God's kingdom. So it makes sense. Like some of the prejudice and racism against immigrant populations, especially those that we caricature and stereotype as terrorists, though Americans have terrorized more Americans than any foreign terrorist group ever has. But Christians, once they open their mouths, like Jesus did, and talk about the gospel, should come across kind of strange to those who don't believe. I was thinking about Superman for some reason, for you DC comic fans. Do you realize we're like working to transform, another term, terraform this place, right? So that a new world and a new earth can come? You're working to subvert this place as you serve it for its good. That's creepy. We're rebels. Christ has called us to be a rebel nation within many nations. Rebel sects and schools and politics and me medicine and art and science and food and entertainment. We have not only built and joined and patronized many of the systems of the world, but we have come full circle and now consider those who infiltrate those very same systems and go in and say no or yes or stop or more or too much, who ride and die for Christ, who are ready to be that one person or two people who say yes or no when given the opportunity, who may stay quiet and hold their tongue and not get into an argument for love's sake or blow the whistle, who may save a company or be instrumental in bringing it down because they are ultimately loving to all but only loyal to Christ Jesus. Christ Central, we have this model of evangelism. We call it the virus. <laughs> People look at our church and say, what y'all doing over there? What is y'all's mission? I want to know. I want to join up. Like, like I've said before, look, 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 can we have the same? We have shirts now, y'all. But can we have like the matching shirts and khaki pants and be doing something? What are y'all doing? And we have a vision of, of, of mission that says where you go is your mission, right? We don't do programs. We do people. Right? So we prepare God's people to infiltrate, to be rebels, if you will, to, to, to go into the systems of this world and make a difference in the positions God is calling you to do. So when you go up and go to work tomorrow, you are fully in the mission of Christ Central Church, and I believe the mission of Scripture. We want our rebels everywhere, right? Let me close with this. Christians, 
are typically bad for politics and can be bad news for some of the parties or candidates' political goals. But they are not going to leave or forsake this world because like their Lord, they believe that the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and all its implications is the best thing that could and did ever happen to the world and its politics, and most importantly, for its broken people. It has never been by any means necessary, but by the means of God's grace through Christ Jesus. It's going to be hard because at some point, I said this at the last couple sermons, at some point you're going to have to tell the story. You're going to have to tell your real motivation. And it ain't because you're just a nice person. <laughs> it's because God is seeking to redeem this world for his kingdom. And I'm here to tell y'all, no political party or candidate or leader or platform, right, is worth you riding and dying for. Right? But you ride, you, you, you go, you work because you're in the kingdom. The gospel is worth riding and dying for. I don't know why we fighting each other. But we know why. Because the political parties and systems of the world cannot handle God's kingdom truth and goals. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. When we see you in government, political systems, it's a mess. Lord, I do pray for the people here at Christ Central Church. For believers in general around the world, Lord. Help us not be hindered or afraid or paralyzed by being a part of your kingdom. I pray for believers in this church, but... Lord, as we think about the church around the world, it is good in some sense to be um, in, in, in a place where churches are free to worship you. So, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world who are dying for the kingdom under governments who are dying, standing for you against all kinds of political systems. Wake us up, Lord. Help us not be lulled 
Help us not forget your truth. Lord, I pray for us right now in our hearts. Help us to realize that there is a power above all powers in this world. And that's you, Lord. Help us not to sell out our faith for power. Help us not sell out our faith hoping that somehow what we desire that you can only do is going to come to pass. Lord, I pray that you restore the heart of redemptive rebels. People whose hearts have been radicalized by Jesus Christ. Help us not to fight with the weapons of this world. Help us to trust you. Not by any means necessary, but by the gospel. By the love of God and Jesus Christ. And for many of us, Lord, I I ask that you'd help us because it means we're going to suffer. And reject it. Help us to be a community who encourages one another because we will see our Lord and what he stands for and his name and his truth kicked around, disrespected. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.